Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 15. We've made it, we made it through another chapter. <laughs> we're doing well. There's only 50 chapters in the book. We should finish this in a couple of years. <laughs> Genesis chapter 15. Today, we're going to probably get through verses 1 through 6. 1 through 6 is the range that I'm looking at today. Would somebody mind reading verses 1 through 6 to get us going? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Excellent. Thank you, Abel. So here we have basically the first section, the first of two sections in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, broken into two sections. The first section having to do with Sarai's barrenness. She doesn't have a child. Abram doesn't have a child. Lord, what are you going to do about a child? And then the second section is going to have to do with land. In both situations, Abram ends up speaking. All right, He ends up speaking to God. This hasn't happened yet. There hasn't been a two-way conversation between Abram and God that we have recorded for us. Basically, up until this point, it's been God speaks, Abraham listens, Abraham obeys. Okay, And in this situation, he finally has something to say. Or uh, not that he was lacking something to say, we just don't have that recorded. So here there's actually conversation going on. So in this first section, it's about the childlessness. Okay, the second section is going to have to do with the land. In both of these, when Abram brings up a situation that's causing him concern, God says basically, your concern is small because I'm going to answer in a big way. I can take care of this in a big way. So it's like the answer far surpasses what Abraham could have asked or imagined. Okay, so here we have the first situation here, verses 1 through 6. When verse 1 says, after these things, what are these things? referring to Lot's rescue there you go the rescue of Lot if you remember that from last week Lot was hauled away by a foreign military force he was being hauled away all of his possessions the family Abram finds out that's my that's my kin you know and he goes off after him and he ends up engaging in battle with these kings that come from a foreign land these kings of four different regions that came down and Abram wins and he ends up taking Lot and the possessions and the family back So now it's after those things. So after these things, the word of the Lord. All right, the word of the Lord. Right there, the phrase, the Lord there, that's Yahweh. This phrase, the word of the Lord, it appears only two times in Genesis. And they're both in this section, verses 1 and 4. 
So here we have an interesting situation, too. You find it much more prevalently in the book of Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Jonah or Haggai or Zechariah. What's the common denominator between those books? The book of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Jonah, Haggai, and Zechariah. Yep, you got it. Sherry got it. Prophets, exactly right. So when you hear this phrase, the word of the Lord came to, or the word of the Lord, it's usually something that you hear being given through a prophet, having to do with a prophet. But here in this situation, it's Abram. That's kind of weird. Is Abram a prophet? We might have a tendency to think no, unless you look at chapter 20, verse 7. Somebody might reading chapter 20, verse 7. What does it say over there about Abram? Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So here you have a situation in chapter 20, verse 7. God is speaking, and he describes Abram as a prophet. Whoa, that's kind of cool. So it's kind of neat in that we're tipped off. The language sounds like prophet language. And then we find out later on, God's going to describe Abram himself, Abram, as a prophet. So that's kind of neat there. So the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, in a vision. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 reminds us that at various times and in various ways that God spoke in times past to the fathers. So here's one of those ways that God can speak is in a vision. All right. In a vision. The word that's actually used here and translated as vision into English, it's not the normal word that's typically used for vision. All right. This is a little bit more of a rare word. There are other ones that are used more frequently. There are actually four words that are most commonly used to describe a vision or that are defined as vision. In this situation, this is the rarest of those. And here in this situation, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has a visual element to it. In fact, as we're reading, what you're seeing is it's described as a vision, but what it is is a message, all right? So there may or may not have been in attendance something that you would see, all right? Usually the Bible will use the word that's translated as dream if it's something that you would have a visual element to it. So I want to make sure that when we understand, when we hear vision, we would automatically think that there's a visual element that's not necessarily required by the word that's used and translated there as vision, okay? Also, an interesting thing that you'll often find when the Bible uses any one of those words to be translated as vision, it's usually a nighttime thing, all right? Just as a dream would be a nighttime thing, so you would have on these uh, visions typically a nighttime thing. And in this story, as it unfolds, you'll find that it's nighttime. Nighttime is basically your backdrop, all right? Or it's turning into nighttime. And we'll see more of that next week when we look at the second half. Uh, But basically, later on in these verses, we'll see that God calls him outside to look at the stars, all right? It's kind of hard to see those in the daytime, all right? (laughs) So probably is nighttime or dusk turning into night, all right? And then you get to the phrase, do not be afraid, Abram. Or in the ESV or King James Version, it says, fear not. Why would he need that encouragement? What is there to fear? He's scared. Just scared. There is something that's probably on his mind, and there's three possibilities. All right, I'll give you three possibilities. One is it could be scared that he's going to die without a child, and we'll find that the words actually kind of support that as we start to move through the information. Another thing could be that he just got involved in a battle. But if you look over there at chapter 14, verse 15, does it say he killed those leaders of those armies? What does it say over there? It doesn't say that they were killed. It says he won. It says that they ran. It could be he's afraid that maybe they'll amass another army and come now to get him. That could be a concern. 
All right. That would make sense if God says fear not, because he could be thinking right after these things. Oh, my goodness. I just what have I done? I just, you know, kick the hornet's nest. And now are they going to come after me? That's a possibility, too. All right. So it could be scared that he's going to die without a child. It could be scared that these people are going to come back and try to exact some sort of punishment from him. All right. Or there's another possibility as well. A third possibility is every time you see a deity, whether it's an angel or the angel of the Lord or God himself come down. Pretty much, they usually introduce that with, don't be afraid. And usually the people are afraid. You know, even though there's this, don't be afraid, they're like, ah! <laughs> All right, so here in this situation, there's a possibility that God speaking to him wants to say, okay, don't be afraid. You know, here I come. I'm coming to talk to you. All right, don't go running. All right, so that's a possibility as well. All right, so do not be afraid, Abram. Could fit in any one of those scenarios. By the way, this introduction here, you see Abram's elderly. He's getting pretty much up there in years. His wife is barren. They're not able to have children. That's a big concern of theirs. And the wife may or may not actually be at the age where she's beyond childbearing. Okay, This same introduction is actually given to Zechariah in the New Testament, who becomes the father of John the Baptist, when the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, don't be afraid. So you have kind of a similarity thing going on there. Both men were elderly. All right, Both were concerned about not having a child. All right, Their wives were barren. And here God comes and he introduces this statement by saying, don't be afraid. All right. I tell you what, though, when we think about whether or not to fear man, I mean, is Abram in this situation, is he fearing man? Or in this situation, is he going to fear the appearance of God? You know, in that situation, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't harm your soul. Be afraid of the one that can kill your body and your soul and (laughs) cast them in hell, right? So when it comes down to it, in the hierarchy or the prioritizing of who to be afraid of, really, we need to be afraid of God. We need to make sure we're right with God before we make sure we're right with men. Okay, if we get that reversed, then we're looking at bad times ahead. All right. If we're looking to arrange our lives so we get along well with men, but we're not getting along well with God, that's a time to fear. So don't get that order mixed up. Make sure you fear and respect God and you get things right with God. And then your relationship with mankind fall into place there. And then God says something to him. He says, I am your shield. You remember last week when I said over in chapter 14, verse 20, chapter 14, verse 20, where Melchizedek says, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And you remember I paused there and I pointed out that the word that's translated delivered over there is actually the verb form of what shield is. And I mentioned that it would actually make a correlation between that chapter and this chapter. So back then the word delivered, the verb, all right, that word is actually migan. And then shield is Megan. All right, so in Hebrew, they're pretty much the same root. All right, one's a verb and one's a noun. So God is saying, just as I delivered you from your enemies over there, so now I am going to be your deliverer. I'm going to be your shield, okay? So he says, I am your shield. God's saying, I am your shield. And the next phrase is, depending on the translation you read, it's either translated your exceedingly great reward or your reward shall be very great. You take it one way and God is his reward. You take it another way and God will reward him. All right. So you've got a twofold thing that God's saying to Abram. First off, introduction, don't be afraid. And then the two part thing is I'm your shield and you're going to be greatly rewarded. Either I'm your reward or your reward will be great. This word that's translated for reward is sakar. It can be what a soldier receives as loot or bounty or pay after engaging in warfare. And that would fit with the context that we have from chapter 14 because that was what he gave up. So it's as if God is acknowledging what he's done when the king of Sodom came to him and said, hey, keep all the possessions for yourself, but please give me the people. 
And Abram said, no, you know what? You can have the people and the possessions. I'm not going to take anything, not even a strap for a shoe, not even a shoelace. All right. And it's as if maybe God is saying, I saw that. And what you gave up, I'm more than going to make up for. All right. It could be that God is saying that. It's also uh, something that could have to do with a figurative reward of faithfulness. And then there's also another possibility. Kenneth Matthews points this out. Psalm chapter 127, verse 3 points out that children are a reward. And the word is the same word. It could be when God is saying your reward will be great. He's tipping his hand and saying, I'm going to bless you with children. Because children fall into that category using that same word as reward. All right. So uh, Kenneth Matthews ends up saying there is no sense that God is indebted to Abram, though. Rather, the Lord reassures Abram that his confidence in the divine promise is well placed. Next verse, 15 to chapter 15, verse 2. But Abram said, Lord God, that's Adonai Yahweh. Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless. In ESV, it's seeing that I continue childless or seeing that I shall die childless or in the NIV, that I remain childless. So you can see what his concern is, right? Seeing that I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So here you have a situation where God is saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to reward you. I'm your shield and I'm your very great reward or I will reward you greatly. And Abram says, thinking of this great reward, what could you possibly give me if I don't have a child? Who can I pass it down to? The biggest number one thing on my Christmas list, I want a child, all right? That's the thing he wants more than anything else. So God says, I'm going to reward you greatly. And Abram says, yeah, but I don't have a child. Can we talk about that? (laughs) All right. I don't have a child. One other thing over here is Kenneth Matthews uh, wants us to notice. He says, Abram is actually relying upon God. He's placing the responsibility and the ability to answer his prayer for a child completely on God's shoulders. He places the ultimate responsibility of Sarai's barrenness on the shoulders of the Lord, who alone can remedy his problem. So he's trusting in God at the same time his wife is barren. He's like, God, you're the one that has to fix this. I can't do anything about it. So he's placing it on God's shoulders, and it shows us that he's trusting God in that sense, too. He mentions here Eliezer of Damascus. There's a tradition from the Nuzi tablets. You also had it mentioned in the Code of Hammurabi in Babylon, that basically if a family, a husband and a wife, can't have children... They might take one of their servants or somebody born in their household, as Eliezer is described as somebody born in their household, and you would take a servant or somebody in that fashion, and you would adopt them into the family to be the son. And the idea was you wanted somebody to be able to take care of you in your older age. All right, You wanted somebody to be able to take care of you. You wanted somebody to be able to bury you, give you a proper burial. And you wanted somebody to attend to the grave and then somebody to pass along the estate. All right. So in this situation, this was not uncommon. If you didn't have children, you would look for somebody within your clan or somebody that's underneath your care. And in this case, we have that person who's actually named Eliezer of Damascus, further described as somebody born, somebody born in my house, as it says in the next verse. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Proverbs 17.2 also talks about that situation where you might have a servant who would end up taking the role of a son. Proverbs 17.2 says, A wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. So even biblically speaking, we have this situation. It's not uncommon. It was something that they would fall back on. This word there, though, in chapter 15, verse 3, where it says, Look, you have given me no offspring. The Hebrew word there translated as offspring is Zerah. Anybody remember hearing that before? Zerah typically translated as seed seed okay and you'll remember we've seen in other places where it talks about in genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that great promise that was given 
that one of Eve's descendants, right? You remember that it was instead of Eve's descendants, it was seed. All right, so you have this situation later when Eve gives birth and she says, I've received from the Lord, and it's the same word. Uh, you have a situation where it talks about Noah and it's after the flood is over, and God says, I'm going to bless you and your descendants. That's Zerah, it's, it's seed. And then here you have it, it's also the same word that was given to Abram the first time God appeared to him, where he talked about his descendants, that's Zerah, and it talks about it again in the second time that God appeared to him, talking about his seed or his descendants. Verse 4, Genesis 15, 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. So God is saying, no, 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 it's not going to be Eliezer. My plan does not include the person that you've already decided is going to be your heir. Sometimes God tells us, okay, you know what? The plans that you've made, they're not the plans that I have for you. All right? So sometimes we come up with these grand schemes to solve problems in our lives because we're not willing to wait the length of time it might take us to wait on God. And so in this situation, God is saying, no, no, no. That plan you've got worked out that you think is your solution, that's not the solution I have for you. That's not my plan for you. All right. So he says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. One who will come from your own body. Kenneth Matthews says, and encouraging us, such is the substance of faith, waiting on God to make good on his promises. You see, in this situation, God had made Abram a promise. I'm going to bless you. You're going to have children. And here it's even narrowed down further. It's going to be from your own body. But he doesn't say it's going to be fulfilled right away. How old is Abram at this time? It could be that he's 85. All right. When will it be fulfilled? Not for another 15 or so years. All right. It's still a long way off. He's not getting any younger. All right. But sometimes when God has a plan for our lives, it's not on our timetable, <laughs> all right? It doesn't happen according to when we're comfortable for it to happen, all right? God's timing is actually better than our timing. We think, we, oh, God, I need this to happen now so that I can make plans accordingly. I don't want to be late, God. I don't want to be caught, you know, unprepared. And so we make these uh, grandiose schemes on how to solve our problems. And God says, no, you know what? You just need to trust me. You just need to rely on me. All right, so here in this situation, waiting for God to come through on his promises. Is it that God is delaying and he likes to see us suffer? No. It's that God wants to see us trust. And what you do is when you get to those places and you look back, you realize, wow, I could have trusted him all along. All that worry was for nothing. How many times do we end up looking back and going, all that worry, all that planning, all that scheming, all that doing what I thought was best comes to nothing. It was all worth nothing. I should have just trusted God. Moving on from there, verse 5, 15, 5, Genesis 15, 5. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. The number of stars that the commentators say that you could actually see at that time, Abram's time looking up into the sky that Abram would have looked at, about 8,000 stars. That's that's quite a few. And I tell you what, by the time you get to 8,000, it's all shifted. All right, so I'm going to have to trust him on that. 8,000 stars in a clear, near eastern sky is what it says. Or fall asleep. That's right. It's probably worked better than counting sheep. You'd be like, did I already count that one? Rats, I knew I should have moved left to right. So counting the stars. It's interesting, too, to recognize that this phrase here where God encourages him to count the stars of the sky and then follows it up in the rest of that verse by saying, so shall your descendants be. This phrase or this wording ends up repeating again. We saw it in chapter 14, verse 22, and we'll see it again in chapter 22, verse 17. It's the same wording that's given to Isaac in chapter 26, 4. It's the same wording given to Moses at Sinai in Exodus 32, 13. And then it's said to be fulfilled in Deuteronomy 1.10. That's kind of cool. You saw God's promises, 
And then you see the fulfillment. But how much time is it between the promise and the fulfillment? Over 400 years. You're probably thinking, what good is a promise that God makes to me if I'm going to be dead by the time it's fulfilled? All right, our life is only this long. All right, it's just a vapor. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. It's like the grass that is uh, flourishing today and then is withered tomorrow. All right, so we got to have a bigger picture than just our life. All right, because God's plan is a much bigger picture than just our little life. And when God makes a promise, he's going to fulfill the parts that are important for you to see in your lifetime, but he's also going to fulfill some of the promises outside your lifetime. And you got to be okay with that, all right? Because if you're not okay with that, if you're like, God, I want it now, I want it before I die, this isn't all about you. It's not all about me. It's about God. And if God comes through on his promises, on his timeline, you know what? I'm just a bit player in this. I'm just a tool in his hand. That's all I want to be is a good, sharp tool in his hand that he can use. Oh, by the way, this phrase here where he's talking about the stars of the sky, this is very similar. It sounds like very similar language. You probably recognize it. He also uses other illustrations. You'll remember probably the sand on the seashore or the dust on the earth. In chapter 13, it was the dust. of the Your children shall be as the dust of the earth. Can you number the dust of the earth? No, you can't number the dust of the earth. Can you number the stars in the sky? No, he's going to have a hard time counting 8,000 stars in the sky. And you're going to have a hard time counting grains of sand on the seashore. All right, so these are things that you'll see in chapter 22 and chapter 26, chapter 32. And then the dust one uh, is chapter 13 and chapter 28. Genesis 15, 6, and he believed in the Lord and he, this is God now. So, and he, Abram believed in the Lord and he, God, counted it to him for righteousness or accounted it to him for righteousness, depending on the translation you use. NIV even has credited to him as righteousness. NASB or the ASV, they have reckoned it to him for righteousness. So what you have here is you have in chapter 15, verse 6, is one of the key verses of the entire book of Genesis. In fact, it becomes a verse that's quoted in the New Testament. All right. Chapter 15, verse 6. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abram is a faithful guy. He's an obedient guy. But here in this situation, we find that his righteousness, A, is from God. It's not from his own doings. And B is based on faith, not based on works. God does the same with us. We are not counted as righteous in God's sight based on what we do. We are counted as righteous in God's sight based on our trust in him, based on our faith, our belief in him, first and foremost. Now that is supported or that is proven. Our faith is proven by our works. But our works do not get us righteousness. It's our faith in God. It's that trust that we put in God that is accounted to us, just as it was to Abram, as righteousness. All right? One of the things, though, that you see here is that Abram believed in the Lord, but he still had these disappointments. He still had frustration ahead of him. There's still going to be over a decade of barrenness in his life. Sometimes in our belief in God, there's still going to be disappointments. There's still going to be frustration. There's still going to be a feeling of lack. And we need to make a choice. There's a decision to be made. Am I going to continue believing in God? Am I going to continue trusting him in this situation? And that was a choice Abram had to make. And that was a choice that God saw. And that was a choice that God accredited righteousness to him. In our situation, it's not when everything's going well that our belief shows what it's really made of. It's when everything's going bad. And then when we believe God, when we continue to trust God, 
it's in those situations that we see the substance of our faith, that we see that whether our faith is actually shallow-rooted or deeply-rooted. And we need to have a deeply-rooted faith in God. We need to have a trust in God that continues. This faith in God, it's not about a fulfillment that he's looking at right around the corner. It's a fulfillment that's a long way off. And sometimes in our lives, the fulfillment is a long way off. I want to quote the New King James Study Bible note. says, Some have thought that in the Old Testament times, people were saved by their good deeds rather than by their faith. But this idea is mistaken. Abram was not saved because of righteous living or obedience, but by believing in God and so being declared righteous by him. The only valid work is the work of faith. And then Brueggemann ends up saying, Those who believe the promise and hope against barrenness nevertheless must live with the barrenness. So here you have in that situation, he's hoping, he's trusting, but there's still the fact that his wife is barren. Jewish study Bible note, Rabbi Ishmael says, And thus you find, observes an ancient midrash about this verse, that our father Abraham inherited this world and the world to come only as a reward for the faith that he had. All right. So this word that's translated as faith is complete trust in. So when we're saying, oh yeah, I believe, I believe in God. Well, it's not about believing in God. It's about believing God. It's about trusting God. Putting full trust in God. In fact, the word can also be translated as established or made firm. All right, so our belief in God is not something that we should entertain as something that's tossed like a ship on the sea. All right, that kind of faith isn't faith. All right, our faith in God is something that's rooted. It's something that's established. It's something that's firm. That's the kind of faith he wants to see in us. That's the kind of faith we need to demand of ourselves. I'm going to believe God, and I'm not going to just believe him today and then let that go tomorrow and then believe him the next day after that. I'm going to believe God, and I'm going to stand firm in this place of belief. I'm going to trust him, come what may. And sometimes that looks ridiculous. If you would have had his neighbor come up to him, maybe a Canaanite neighbor, hey, Abram, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. Yeah, what's going on? Anything new in your life? Well, God told me that he was going to follow through, that I'm going to have a child and I'm going to, it's going to come from my own body. Really, dude? You're pretty old. I don't know how that's going to happen. You know, it's going to look pretty ridiculous. Sometimes taking God as his word looks ridiculous to somebody who doesn't understand, to somebody who's on the outside looking in, to somebody who doesn't understand what this life looks like. And you are in that moment a picture of what it looks like so that they can say, wow, that person is different. That kind of way of life is different. That's the kind of belief and trust in God that we need to have. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. Wow. You want to please God? Oh, it's got to have faith. All right? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. What does that do for worry? Where does that leave worry in our lives then? I mean, because when you think about it, they're vying for the same position, right? Your worries are vying for the same position as where you should be putting your trust. All right, you should be trusting, not worrying. So there's this battle because we all engage in worry, right? We need to be refusing the worry when, when we recognize it. Oh, man, I'm worrying again. That's not trusting. Put aside the worry. You know what, God? Thank you. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. I'm now going to shove worry under the back burner. It's now, oh, thank you. I'm trusting you again. I'm trusting you. So when worry comes into battle, when the, whisp- when the devil whispers, yeah, but you didn't think of this, yeah, but you didn't think about it. What if this happens to you? Oh, what if they saw that? What if they say that? What if they do what you're <laughs> fearful that they're going to do? And all these worries come your way. Oh, no, and you're overcome by worry. You're not trusting in that moment. Let the Holy Spirit bring it to your attention. You go, oh, thank you, God. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. You say, those worries, I'm going to set them aside. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Cast your worries upon him, for he cares for you. Those worries are not a thing that we should entertain and allow to continue dwelling upon. All right, Those are things that we should be refusing to dwell upon. This verse, like I mentioned, is actually used in the New Testament. This key verse of chapter 15, verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. It shows up in Romans chapter 4 twice. And then it shows up in Galatians 3, 6. And then James 2, 23. When you look at it in Romans chapter 4, it shows up in chapter 4, verse 3, and chapter 4, verse 22. Paul ends up using this verse to show that it's not just Jews who end up having access to God. The only way we have access to God is through this verse. It's through Genesis 15, 6. It's through the concept that's being taught there. It's by faith that we have access. And Paul says that Abram becomes the father of not just of the Jews, he becomes the spiritual fathers of those who come to God in faith. And so that when we sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Remember that song when you were a little kid or when you were leading children's church and you would sing that song with the little kids? All right, it's not singing about Father Abraham was a father of Jews. It's singing about Father Abraham had a role that was transcending that. He was the father of faith of everyone who would come to believe, whether Jew or Gentile. All right? The Jews are not excluded any more than the Gentiles are. It's to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles following up after that. All right? So we, as Gentiles, have access to God only because Abram is designated as the spiritual father of all of us. All right? Let me read you a few verses here from Romans chapter 4. I'm just going to skip around a little bit. I'll tell you the verse numbers that I'm hitting. All right? How about chapter 4, verse 2? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's this verse. That's 15.6 of Genesis. Verse 4, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes. All right, that's the faith part that we're talking about with Abraham. But believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Skipping down to verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world, that's Abram now, that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, that's the Jew, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. That opens up the door for us, who is the father of us all. Verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, verse 21, and being fully convinced that what God had promised, what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Verse 22, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. There's that verse again, chapter 15, verse 6 of Genesis. 23, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. This includes us includes us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up jesus our lord from the dead and then verse 25 who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification david stern is a uh, messianic jewish author and he ends up writing a great statement regarding that verse 24 there romans chapter 4 verse 24 david stern says this this is a radical statement for it says that abraham was not special Whereas Jewish Midrashim attributed unique ability, holiness, and power to Abraham, enabling him to have trust far beyond what ordinary people can attain to, Paul, or Shaul, insists that such trust is available to everyone. We, that's us, this group in here, 
It's available to everyone. This is the good news, that through Yeshua the Messiah, anyone can have the same close personal relationship with Almighty God that Abraham had. So it's because of that chapter 15, verse 6 of Genesis that we have access to God. Another place that it mentions this verse is actually over in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6, 7, and 8 says this, Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, this is Genesis 15, 6, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So you sing that song, Father Abraham had many sons. According to Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, the only people who can say that are people of faith. All right? Do you get that? That's significant. Because for some Jews that are not believing in Jesus as their Messiah, Yeshua as their Mashiach, for a Jew in that position who just believes because I'm related to Abraham by blood, no, that's not good enough. Paul says that's not good enough. It's about Abraham being a father of us all in faith. He's our father of faith. Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So do you believe? Here's what it comes down to. Do we believe God? Are we willing to take him at his word? What are some of the promises that God might make that we need to trust? Number one, Jesus is the son of God. And I'm not saying that these are specifically ordered. All right, These are just things that I came up with. One of the promises is that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you trust that? You're probably like, yeah, 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 I'm good with this. I like that. How about Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life? Yeah, okay, we're good with that too. How about Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient payment for our sins? You know, we might say, yeah, but sometimes I don't think we live like that. Sometimes we feel like, you know what, I just sinned and I don't feel forgivable right now. Well, you know what? If you're going to trust God where it says Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient payment for your sins, it's not just the sins of your past. It's the sins you commit right now. It's the sins you're going to commit tomorrow. If his death was sufficient for your sins, it covers those too. How about Jesus rose from the dead? We're like, oh yeah, I've heard that since Sunday school. Yeah, I've... But when you get into a disagreement with somebody and they're like, oh yeah, somebody rose from the dead and then you're, you know, prove it. Prove that somebody rose from the dead. You're like, uh, you know, you don't have to prove it. Do you believe it? Start there. All right. Start with believing it. And then add proving it later on, all right? Jesus is at the right hand of God Almighty making intercession for us. Did you know that Jesus is praying for you? He's praying for me? That's pretty cool. If I want somebody praying for me, you know, I'm going to invite as many people as I can to pray for me because I need a lot of prayer. But knowing that Jesus is praying to God the Father for me as well, you know what? That means a lot, all right? Do we trust that that's actually the case? How about there's nothing that we can do to earn our forgiveness or our way to heaven? Do we trust that? Because sometimes we live like we're trying to earn our favor in God's eyes. Oh, you know what? I blew it yesterday. So maybe if I do some extra good stuff today that God will... No, you know what? We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't earn brownie points. We can prove that we believe God by our acts, but we can't earn favor in God's eyes by our acts. And there's lots of other ones. How about um, he's preparing a place for us? He'll never leave us or forsake us. How about this one? In every temptation, he's provided a way of escape. Sometimes we don't live like that, do we? Sometimes we go, oh, it got me again. <laughs> All right, if there's a way of escape, it shouldn't get you again. <laughs> greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Or he is our greatest source of peace, joy, and rest. Or he will finish what he started in us. Sometimes, oh, this is too hard. This life is too hard. I don't know if I can make it. He's going to finish what he started in you. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in you. To live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Jesus is coming back and we will live forever with him. Those are just a handful of promises. The Bible is full of them. We need to live trusting God. And when he makes a promise to us in written form or audibly as he did to Abram, we need to trust. This is where I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to believe God in this. One more place it shows up in the Bible, this verse. James chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. Basically, James just uses this verse to show that works corroborate our saving faith. That works prove our saving faith. They don't earn us salvation, but they prove we are saved. They prove that we are standing firm in God. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be with you again. And we thank you, God, for what you would have to say to us. Go with us now, Lord. Help us individually to hear what your spirit would whisper to us to remind us of different points that maybe were spoken and different points maybe that you just brought to our minds. We thank you, God, that you can do that, that you personalize each message for every time that we spend with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. You guys have a great week.